0: Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This show is sponsored by Comark, a global provider of innovative software products and business services. Comark's platform is used by leading brands across all industries to drive their customer loyalty. Powered by AI and machine learning, Comark technologies allow you to build, run, and manage personalized loyalty programs and product offers with ease. For more information, please visit Comark.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 344 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, I'm delighted to be joined for a second time by Peter Kozlowski, a very well-known and well-respected loyalty expert who is the Vice President of Consulting for Loyalty Solutions at Comark, based in Poland. As you'll hear, my previous interview with Peter prompted some very interesting insights. So I've been really looking forward to hearing his latest ideas on key trends and developments in loyalty worldwide. Today, you'll hear Peter's new insights on the evolution of coalition loyalty programmes, key trends in retail loyalty, as well as the growth and direction that loyalty initiatives are developing in the banking sector worldwide. As always, I loved chatting with Peter as a loyalty leader with a truly global perspective across some of our industry's most important sectors. So I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Peter Kozlowski, Vice President of Consulting for Loyalty Solutions at Comark. So, Peter Kozlowski from Comark. Welcome back to Let's Talk Loyalty.
1: Hello, good afternoon or good morning, depending where, where we are. Yes. Uh, it's really great to be here again on the on your show. So thanks for the invitation.
0: No problem at all. And I always worry about the Polish surnames, Peter. So I hope I did you justice, did I?
1: No, it's, it's, cor- it's correctly pronounced. But so it's usually it's very difficult to pronounce our names, but, but yeah. yeah, you've done it well.
0: That's wonderful. Practice makes perfect, Peter. So, listen to me. It's been eighteen months actually um, since you were on the show. So, so much has happened, and yet so much has stayed the same. I think when we we met last week, we kind of talked through uh, some of the big changes that you are noticing, uh, both from a travel perspective and also with your broader remit, which is super exciting to hear your expanded role within the business. So, before we get into all of your, uh, I suppose consulting uh, observations Peter as you know we always love to start the show now asking about our favorite loyalty programs and just for listeners who, who don't know you inspired this question Peter last time you were on because you told me your favorite loyalty program and I thought my goodness that's exactly what I want to know from everybody so given that you inspired the question I am dying to hear what is I'm, your
1: I'm happy I contributed to the to the way you run the the, the content on the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for that question. I think you know that there are lots of great loyalty programs around the world. Uh, of course, I'm not a member of many of those. Yeah. Simply geography plays a role here. Yeah. So we we have a tendency to use those which are which are very global programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I think the, that the program that I really appreciate uh, for its I mean value for its simplicity. Um, uh, it's not just the program, but it's more importantly. How it's being fulfilled in the in the channels is is actually a core program. So a yeah. core uh, life limitless. limitless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's. I think it's an amazing proposition. Um, it's you know if you look at it, it's, it's pretty simple, right? I mean, it's uh, the mechanics of the program is yeah. sometimes not the one we are trying to to come up with when we are building an engaging loyalty proposition. But yeah. actually, this is very simple. This is very transparent, you know, what you get um, and what kind of value you can extract out of the program. It's uh, embedded to all the channels. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I really like, you know, mm-hmm. redemption. Yeah. Very easy, yeah. Yeah. Um, and something that I think is is, is critical here and uh, with such a big network, with such mm. a large number of franchisees, I think they achieved a, a perfection in the way they fulfill the benefits in at the hotel so i'm feeling like i'm wherever i'm arriving i'm my profile is recognized i'm always getting the 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 upgrade and i have to ask for it yeah uh, and all the associated benefits so i think uh although it's a it's a very very simple program yeah uh, sometimes the simplicity contributes the most to the value we, we, we are extracting out of out of that. Mm. Um so I would say yeah, yeah. a core wow. this time. Yeah. That the last wow. time I was I was talking about Starbucks rewards, but it was more of a yeah. of a business model of the loyalty program. I'm not a member of Starbucks rewards itself. Yeah. But but here a core a core I think has stolen Mailing my it. heart. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, yep. you'll be pleased to know that a core coming on the show in a couple of weeks' time, Peter. So uh, we'll make sure that um, we get to hear the full story. We've actually interviewed them once before. But what I really like, I suppose, coming from your perspective is you've got a global perspective on loyalty, um, but yet, as you said, you're you're talking from personal experience. And I think, wasn't it Einstein who said something about uh, genius is, um, you know, stripping things back to their simplest essence, but no further. So that idea that it's a compelling proposition that everybody can understand. And particularly, I think with the core, they have so many hotel brands. And one proposition has to cover both commercially and I suppose, from a consumer perspective. So so from my, I suppose, observations and learning about their program, Peter, what is brilliant is, you know, they have that domain, the, you know, Accor Live Limitless. They've got the super sexy assets in terms of the sponsorship side. But as you said, it's across all channels. It's wherever I experience the Accor brand. So really yeah, exactly. impressive. Yeah.
1: And it goes very well hand in hand, you know, in terms of a, of a choice. With a diversification of the brands they are having, I mean, yeah. you can pretty much, you yeah. know, be rewarded uh, whether you're staying on on a, on budget at ibis or whether you're staying in a premium M yeah. Gallery or, uh, or or Sofitel hotels. So it, it it covers pretty much your private travel, and you can be rewarded for your private travel, yeah, uh, and also covers your more of a premium stays if you if you are on a corporate trip. Mm. So uh, of course that that has to that has to. Uh, uh come together in terms of what kind of the assets you're having and how you're rewarding for that so i think that's that's yeah. where they where they remaster really that yeah uh, and it's really appreciated i mean unfortunately I have, I have fallen from the cliff of the of the tier members having requalified to my platinum card yeah. they stopped they stopped the grace periods anymore so you <laughs> can tell them that that's something they can improve actually
0: <laughs> okay and i'm sure you're not the first person to say it as well peter yeah, yeah, yeah. so i know many those of business us experienced cases- that yeah. Oh, totally. Yes. There's a lot of people falling off cliffs at the moment. So, uh, so totally get it. And, and, and it's true, actually, Peter, last time you were on the show, um, as we said, 18 months ago, and we were still, I suppose, struggling with the implications of COVID at the time. Thank God we're all in a much better place. I'm not sure if we'll ever be totally rid of it. Um, But from a, I suppose, a loyalty perspective, it was really fascinating to hear, you know, what you were seeing globally, Both with your travel hat on, because I know you spent, I think it was seven years exclusively um, consulting strategically for Comark across airlines and hotels and, and obviously airports as well. And you have a broader remit now. So... I'm going to dive in with the the newer stuff, because that to me is is something I have less um, experience of, and that's uh, retail loyalty, Peter. There's mm-hmm. um, so much, I suppose, that has changed from, I believe, a consumer perspective, um, but also I think trends that maybe we have seen maybe 10, 20 years ago in travel starting to come through in retail. So tell us your insights in terms of what do you think is happening in the world of retail loyalty?
1: Yeah, I think I think very much the the, the loyalty uh, today or uh, across the across the retail brands are is following, is following the overall trend w- within the loyalty. So if you think a decade ago or fifteen years ago, I think majority of the loyalty programs in this space that were focused on retail, they were built around the channel. They were built around the retailers, department stores, and. Um, um, even even grocery, you know, grocery chains. It's it's still a channel through which we are transacting. Sure. What we are seeing in a in a in a more of a premium retail space, um, we are seeing that uh, the brands uh, have been trying to to build their own channels to 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 interact with the customers, especially in a in a fashion retail, mm. uh, in an outdoor retail. Mm. Uh, and uh, the the pandemic just propelled that that m- most of the of our transactions moved to the e-commerce. Yeah. And then it was it's a pretty much a question mark to what type of e-commerce it moved. Did it move mm. to the third party e-commerce? So are we using the Amazon and type of Amazon platforms, or did the brand start to did brand start to build their own channels, uh, their own e-commerce propositions? And it looks like many of them actually started to. Uh, to build their own capability around uh, uh, interacting and and providing transactional mm. capabilities to the customer. And that is also that kind of evolved to the shift of how what loyalty programs are focusing at. in the past we've been primarily uh, building the programs for for those department stores, yeah. large retailers. Yeah. right now we are seeing that there's a bigger and bigger appetite of the uh, of the consumer brands directly to build a, a loyalty proposition to, to, to target their 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 consumers yeah and, and if you if you compare it you know if you think about uh, uh, the, the travel about the travel industry and why the loyalty programs have been initially established, yeah. they were established to put the connectivity between the airline as a brand and the end consumer yeah and to a certain extent I mean overriding the, the someone who owned the customer which was the which was the, the travel agent right? Yeah. I mean for for the following decades, right? Yeah. I mean the retail has been working with a with a so-called travel agencies which were brick and mortar uh retailers, right? Yeah. And now they are they're trying to find a, a kind of a bypass um yeah. through with for their own e-commerce uh, e-commerce proposition and the loyalty programs to establish relationship directly with the uh, yeah. with the consumer. And we are quite a, you know we are quite um fascinated with the type of the brands that are going toward the direction. We mentioned mm. retail, but I mean, we're seeing the same thing with with the automotive business. You know, mm. 10 years ago, we never thought about automotive business as an area where the low-key program propositions can can thrive. And we're seeing it's happening, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, so with a digital connected car, we are seeing that the automotive brands are first time in a position that they can start talking directly to their end consumer. Yeah, they were I mean in reality they've been just building their their products they've been creating them yeah but they didn't speak to their customers directly it was a dealership who speaks who spoke to them directly mm. with, a, with a new connectivity that we have in place um uh, it's it's happening basically the same uh the the automotive brands can talk directly to their end consumers they start to build the proposition yeah. to actually be able to collect more data about their their consumers. Mm. And the role of a dealership is still very important, but it's not the it's not the blocker between the uh between the establishing relation directly between the the brand yeah. and, the, and the consumer. So I think we have a lot of shifting here that is happening. So loyalty programs will basically follow um follow that that trend to work uh, more directly between the between the brand and between a consumer, Um uh, which of course will have a uh, lots of different effects on the. Mm-hmm. on the on the retail business, on the on the real estate business, because yeah. let's put this in, in, in a in Western economies we're coming to um not an end maybe, but to the big shift of of what traditional retail means.
0: Yeah. And I, I really love that you've drawn that, I suppose, a uh, history lesson for us, Peter, because I was in the airline industry 20 years ago and maybe longer if I'm <laughs> honest, but yeah. I absolutely witnessed that disintermediation if we use the, the the technical term for it. And at the time it was truly shocking because you know, travel agents had all the power. The airlines were very much uh, distant, as we know, even though the actual loyalty program I think started about forty years ago. Uh, American Airlines, for example, yeah. but I think once the the benefits of that direct relationship really started to become clear to airlines in particular, then absolutely they they really did decimate the the travel agency business um, in in many countries. And I know new models have emerged, of course, in terms of online yeah. travel agencies, and yes. you know that there is other models there. But it's almost amazing, as you said. You know, I've often thought about it, you know, when I did buy a car, I actually don't have a car anymore in Dubai. I'm very happy um, using a taxi and the Metro and everything, public transport. (laughs) So that's a shift in my behavior. But I do always remember almost being offended being in the loyalty industry that I was buying this incredibly expensive thing for myself. uh, And Audi was the last brand that I actually bought. Now I was buying secondhand, so I won't pretend that I was buying a brand new uh, car. But again, I was like, nobody's even bothering to build this relationship, even the dealer. Do you know what I mean? It was kind of like they focused on that transaction, they focused on the sale and then they moved on. And they they didn't really seem to care that in, I don't know, two years time, three years time, I might have more money. I might have a a need for a new car. But retail now to me. If you look at the
1: bargaining power of the players in the market, I mean, the biggest bargaining power was uh, in the hands of those who were actually owning the channel. Yeah. Today, uh, this 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 bargaining power is shifting to those who actually own a customer and own data yeah. uh, concerning customers. So, yeah. I mean, if you look at the travel industry, I mean, it's pretty much the the the, the times of the nineties, where I mean, of course, technology on the one hand to to transact directly with the end yeah. consumer came together with of course the ownership of the data and ownership of the of the customer. But mm. if you look at I think in nineteen ninety, approximate uh, spend of the travel, I mean airline companies on a distribution cost were at the level of twelve percent.
0: Mm-hmm. Now yes. they're
1: ranging between two to four percent on more than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that enabled also to uh to create a new pressure on the on those who owned the channels, which are yeah. still relevant, uh, uh, to to actually deliver more value at the much more reasonable reasonable cost. Yeah. And it looks like we, we we are going for the same kind of evolution um within the within the retail space. Yeah. Uh, there will be much bigger pressure on a on a traditional which are brick and mortar. Yeah. Um, we still have the intermediaries like 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 Amazon for instance and, 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 and local local yeah. marketplaces. Yeah. But it looks like um that, that the brands uh the larger brands are realizing that um they cannot build their their i mean retail strategy around around those marketplaces only um because from being dependent on the department store they will become dependent on the on the e-commerce uh marketplaces therefore yeah. they are building direct um and direct um relationships they are building direct uh yeah. on uh, e-commerce channels and i think this is the yeah uh, this is what we'll be seeing for the next couple of years in terms of the evolution of the of yeah. the of of the retail and definitely loyalty programs will propel that to to, to, to some extent. Yeah. Um, uh, from the perspective also that that this will be one of the best source to
0: yeah
1: uh, to to collect the, the zero party data.
0: For sure, and and certainly, again, I'm I'm noticing my own behavior shifting in that way as well, Peter. Because I did go to a department store recently and was browsing around, actually, for a gift. It wasn't even for myself, unfortunately, but I did browse around. You know, a couple of kind of you know upper kind of luxury handbag uh, departments, for example. And as soon as I showed interest in a particular product, the salesperson who I'm guessing was directly working for that brand immediately asked for my whatsapp number to send me more product options and i was thrilled so what i'm finding is and i'm sure you have this experience so I think from a business perspective, you're absolutely right. The brand sees the direct opportunity of selling through an e-commerce channel. And I'm guessing a lot of the business cases start with that, but then they're also realizing the relationship and the marketing benefits. So it's kind of like that holistic piece to go back to your opening answer exactly, Accor have managed to get that piece, both the sales and the marketing benefits with the surprise and delight, the zero party data, And yeah, so big luxury brands, I think, are finally realizing. And I guess it's just amazing that we've talked about it's been happening for so long in the travel industry that it only feels like it's coming through now in retail, which is quite amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Of course, there were, there were need to be a lot of enablers to, yeah. To, 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 to deliver that kind of a kind of a driver to the market I mean logistics yeah. I mean the, the the payment solutions, the e-commerce platforms. so yeah. it looks like uh, although we just we're sometimes saying that the, the travel industry is a little bit old-fashioned, actually I mean the travel industry have been one of the pioneers in 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 starting to sell their services in, a, in online mode and and a lot of the inspiration to other businesses came actually from from there
0: totally totally and yeah. i know we share that passion and love of airlines as well <laughs> peter so yes we, we'll never forget i love I, I love that whole industry and i do miss it so but listen talk to me about data peter because i i feel like that's um one that a lot of people talk about uh, i definitely think it has its own complexity so again it's one thing to have an e-commerce transaction it's another thing to capture data that can be actually useful what do you think the the level of sophistication is in terms of your clients, uh, both in travel or in retail, for example, in terms of their awareness of, of what they can actually do, like how far are they on that journey of of using the data for the benefit of their members rather sure. than just, I suppose, research?
1: Sure, I, I think I think we, we will never reach a, a, a destination in terms of, of what we can do with the data, right? So it's a it's a continuous process. Of course, we are overwhelmed with the data. Yeah, we have uh, too much data uh, in in comparison to what how we can leverage that, how we how much we can consume. Of yeah. course, new, newer technologies will will come with a with a very strong support in that area. Uh, so so looking at uh, at yeah, I know it's, it's it sounds like a bad word, but of course, I mean we we, we see the the bigger leverage of a of a machine learning capabilities in uh, delivering mm. either the personalized offer either in a in a customer segmentation kind of a clustering customers um uh, without defining the rules based on which you're you're segmenting them so definitely there, there will be a lot of the support mm. from technology field um in 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 consuming the data i think what what became really clear uh, uh in the in in all the industries is that um uh, Data ownership is today one of the one of the biggest assets that you you have in in, in the company. Yeah. So um, you know, if I if I look at the, at the past experiences where we've been talking with the clients on yeah. relaunching a loyalty platform, you know, data analytics and uh, and uh, and, uh, and the reporting aspects, you know, they were kind of a secondary aspect. We were focusing on more of a operational transactional uh, uh, things. I mean, today it's in the, all the brands became very, very aware that, I mean, if they are to build a business around anything, they should build around the data, data okay. ownership and, uh, and, and, and having the data in, uh, mm. in the right depth and in the yeah. right quality.
0: Absolutely. And I know you do a lot, for example, as well in coalition programs, Peter. So is that changing the dynamics of relationships for, for uh, coalition loyalty? It does uh,
1: because I mean that that is of course a controversial topic. If if if, if uh, but but we like those right totally. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I think you know if you look if you look uh, a decade ago where we had a big and big growth of the coalition loyalty programs. They were like a as the programs they were thriving as the businesses they were thriving. Yeah. Um, but uh, they were building their their position based on the first of all providing them quite a strong uh, uh, inside the network. So so multiple employers uh, yeah. in the in, in, in the network. They were providing an attractive, attractive uh, neutral currency. Um, and they have been building their value on top of the data. The challenge mm-hmm. that we we had of course were that the partners who were contributing with a lot of the transactions, information about members, they were not owning the data and they were not having enough insights to that data. Yeah. So that has that has led a, a lot of the loyalty programs in, in, in coalition space um to To go for a certain even point where the larger mm, partners of those coalitions have realized, okay, we are pretty much buying a little bit blindly the currency. Mm-hmm. We are um, buying a certain acquisition of the customer, but not of the customer data, but rather of the customer um, uh, footfall to to our to our um, uh, outlets or or simply additional transaction in our e-commerce channels. Mm. Um, and um, we are. We are not extracting enough value out of the coalition program that we potentially could have yeah. our own, or yeah. having or being in a in a coalition that has a bit more of a let's put it this way, democratic or or equal equal rights of of usage of the of the data, uh, and I think that led a lot of the big brands to either um, started to rethink their uh, participation in coalition programs. Yeah. Uh, some of them withdrew. Yeah, we yeah. we 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 we've seen the American example of a yeah. of a plenty program where where the larger brands have very clearly recognized. Okay, yeah. we would be just a kind of a blind contributor of a of a revenue and mm. the data to to the larger coalition program, whereas we have enough enough power, we have enough frequency to build yeah. our own propositions, and they withdrew. Um, so I believe the coalition loyalty programs kind of reach a certain plateau uh, where. They yeah. are not growing at a fast pace. Some are in decline. Yeah. But I think overall, from a data sharing perspective, that will lead us to, uh, uh, that will lead us to 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 have a a kind of a new, uh, reshaped models of the coalition loyalty programs, where this topic of a, of a of a democracy inside of the coalition program will be addressed. Um. Uh. Where where. The, the the operator of the coalition will not be just draining the the wallets of them uh, of the partners, but they will be also in return providing much more uh, mm. much more uh, insights, much more tools to to manage their programs from as a, as a marketing tool. Yeah. Um, so this relation will be much more equal than than it was in the in the in the last in the in the last years.
0: Yeah, it's like a a maturing of the coalition model. If Definitely. I'm hearing you, yeah definitely i like that
1: definitely it's it's maturing from both ends so i think that we, we came to the point with, that in majority of the markets that coalition operators have realized that if they want to evolve and and further grow grow that, yep. the that proposition they have to um, address the, the the potential partners the merchants in a much more matured way they have to they have to give them much more value mm. and uh these merchants have to perceive that value to to opt in um otherwise um this, this creates a, a kind of a, a unequal environment in which the merchants are not willing to participate yeah so I think it's this this kind of uh, shifts that that happened that, uh, that that happened in the coalition industry will I mean will will bring to the market a new evolved models of the coalition loyalty programs
0: mm. that
1: uh, that will be bringing more value to to partners merchants and at the end of the day consumers yeah.
0: I really like that, actually, Peter. When I think back to my days, you know, running loyalty programs on behalf of clients, as you know, it was predominantly telcos, uh, utilities, for example, as well, that I worked in. But I certainly didn't have sufficient knowledge and Ireland wasn't really a big enough market, I guess, to to have a very compelling coalition program but I'm thinking of everybody listening to our conversation today, I think it's really positive for brands to understand that they do have that level of negotiating power, you know, and... Because the consumer still does value that, I suppose, simplicity and lifestyle opportunity, I suppose, that a coalition program offers. I think brands are in a very good position to go. And as you said, you know, push the coalition operators because actually they won't survive if they can't really offer a more compelling benefit to those contributing merchants. Because I've yeah, we we've both seen it. I think high profile, yeah. you know, failures in the U.S. market, for example. So it's good to hear that these programs are growing up.
1: Yeah, and I think I think there's. I'm still positive that the coalition loyalty uh, model, which was questioned for the last few years, yeah. I think it still can it it still can be a, a marvelous way of of delivering um, yeah. value to the consumers. It just needs to uh, some some level of a of a of a reshape of a, of the yeah. powers inside of the pros programs and yeah. what 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 kind of a voice uh, actually yeah. the merchants can have in in, in such a proposition. Uh, so um, I'm I'm still a big fan of the coalition loyalty programs. Um, I think in in some markets they they will still thrive, but they just need to uh, shift a little bit.
0: Absolutely. And that's where expertise from people like you, Peter, I genuinely believe is is the only way for, you know, again, people listening to this show to to understand those nuances, you know, the dynamics of exactly how the program operator might be thinking and how they can, I suppose, negotiate their way in to a more powerful relationship or a more balanced relationship, let's say. I think that exactly. does take a, a lot of expertise.
1: And I think, I think, you know, if we look at the, if, if you look at 10 years back uh what was the what was the major asset around which the um the proposition of the coalition program was built for partners it was primarily built around the currency um yeah, it was primarily sure. built. i mean yeah. every every single every single point issued means that we we brought the footfall to your uh, uh to your uh to your outlet mm. um and of course there were revenues uh, behind it i think uh that in, a, in, a, in that, let's say, future state, in the next couple of months, years, we will be seeing a, a big reshape of that of the proposition toward merchants where, I mean, the loyalty programs will become for them a broader marketing tool, let's put it this way, totally. where they would need to provide much more services, much more insights about the consumer, mm. whereas the points, the, 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 the currency itself, will be just an element that will be propelling all, all that business yeah. And will become an element of a circulation. So it will address that behavioral aspect of a of a yeah. loyalty. But there it will not be a centric component of the of the coalition loyalty programs. It will be just a kind of a circulation yeah. a asset. feature.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think as well, you know, my, my final thought on it was, again, maybe 10, 15 years ago for a coalition program, the technology was probably inaccessible before, you know, cloud-based uh, solutions, for example, existed. Uh, sometimes the coalition operators were the only ones who would invest um, at the level that was needed. So, you know, brands- the barriers,
1: the barriers to, to enter the, 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 the load space were much higher in yeah. the past. Yeah. Uh, also from technology standpoint uh today they are much they they're much lower yeah uh, and and in order to be successful in 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 pursuing the the coalition loyalty strategy you, you have to deliver much more in terms of a business value than yeah. actually just uh just uh, the lower access and, amazing
0: mm, yeah. yeah great insights so listen to me, Peter. Then your role has expanded geographically. It has expanded across new sectors as well. So, in addition to all of the uh, the travel stuff that you've been doing and continue to do, tell us about the new sectors of loyalty that you're starting to to take care of.
1: So de- definitely, it's been it's been banking that I was I was looking at heavily in the in the, in the last few years. You know. Uh, banking is an extremely exciting uh, and the finance sector is extremely exciting area for pursuing loyalty because it's a very, we can call it traditional uh, space for loyalty programs, right? Uh, A little bit like travel. So we we can call that to some extent, the loyalty programs usage of the loyalty mechanics in the, in a, in a banking sector is, is within the DNA of the, of the banks. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's a very, very interesting area where I'm, where I'm looking at and I'm, I'm seeing that, um, there's still a lot of the untapped opportunity across across banks and using the loyalty
0: mechanics. So, what kind of opportunities are they? Give us an insight.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you know, if if we look at the bank programs as of now today, they they are very much focused around one single bank's uh, uh, product, and it's a credit card. Yeah. Yeah. So um, most of us, I mean, depending in which country we we, we live in. And I think there's a big difference. We'll come to that probably. But what is the difference between Europe and uh, I would say the rest of the world? Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh. But the, most of the programs are built uh, around you know making you swipe the card as many times as possible, uh, and rewarding you for that. So if you take the the American programs, Middle East, pro- Middle Eastern programs, I mean, the only way to be rewarded sometimes is to actually yeah. access the credit card credit card proposition. Sure. Uh. I believe that uh, that makes uh, most of the um, European loyalty programs, uh, uh, bank programs, uh, living. I would say in a poverty. Let's put it this way. Sure. Uh, because they cannot, with that approach, they cannot contribute much to the uh, to uh, to consumers, neither to banks. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, the, ban- the 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 the, uh, the programs in in US, in Middle East, in Turkey, you know. They are thriving because they are having uh, uh, lovely margins on on a on a merchant fee, uh, yeah. and on uh, and it's driven by the legislation on the interchange rate. Yeah. So just as sure. a comparison, we have zero point two percent merchant fee in Europe, in wow. European Union, whereas I think uh, in the Middle East or if you take US, it's between two to three percent merchant fee. So yeah. wow. that that makes the uh, the potential proposition how much you can give as in, in terms of a reward to to member. Uh, that makes a, a huge difference, right? Um, that's why mm. the loyalty programs in, in in Europe do not contribute much to the to the acquisition of customers into banks to yeah. retain their customers. Mm. But I believe um, uh, both of the of the regions, so Europe and the rest of the world, if we put, if we if we if we categorize that way the uh, the the world from perspective of the interchange rate, I think still that there's a lot of the untapped uh, potential by Addressing the other domains of the of the banks, other products and propositions with the uh, mm-hmm. with the with the rewards. So when I look at my at my activity in 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 a, in a uh, with, with any bank, I mean I'm having a mortgage, I'm having loans, I'm having insurance with the bank. Yeah. Um, I'm having savings. Uh, I'm doing investments, but I'm only being rewarded for swiping my card. Yeah. So I'm not being motivated. By any other factor than just convenience, yeah, to to continue to use the same bank, or if I see the opportunities, I switch the banks quite easily. Yeah, a variety of different products. So uh, I think this is the this is the way, especially the European banks should look like and how they can leverage the, the mm. loyalty mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, probably the the swiping of the card can be just a a nice add on. Yeah, but actually, the you know a lot of products they are they are selling, they are of a very high margin. Yeah, if you take the the, the short term yeah. loans, if you take the uh, if you take mortgages, if you take the currency conversions, these are very high yield products. Yeah, I'm not being rewarded for none of it. So, uh, so that's interesting. On the other hand, if we look at those very rich loyalty programs in the U.S., in the in the yeah. Middle East, in Turkey, in Southeast Asia. I mean, they today are focusing very much uh, around, around the credit card. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes them putting in the comfort zone because their revenues are, are, are pretty much coming in for the credit card business. Yeah. But it looks like they are not fully leveraging the, the opportunities which are with their other bank products, which are also at a very high margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, uh, if, if you find the right model of, uh, of rewarding for them, Mm. They then the loyalty the program can be an even greater contributor to the bank business uh, of of uh, uh, of yeah customer retention acquisition yeah. and uh, and a cross sell as well of their products.
0: Absolutely, and and it's interesting, Peter. Thank you for that. Um, I'm certainly also starting to hear these conversations being had about rewarding the entire banking relationship and, you know, my own kind of, you know, assumptions are that, as legislation forces the banks to make it easier to switch you know so certainly again back to ireland where i would know um you know most um customers would now be uh, less nervous if they did want to switch a bank for example that yeah. it, it it has to be facilitated so so i suppose the the um history of you know all of the complexity of changing your, your lifelong banking relationships, all the direct debit setups and all of that piece that nobody ever wants to deal with. I suppose that's being addressed by legislation. So I suppose there, there must be increased churn. Again, I haven't worked in this industry, but it's really good to hear that they're starting to think, well, actually, if we do have those margins, why would we not start to focus on the retention piece? Because
1: Absolutely.
0: To, to me, it's inevitable that people will, because I think there's a lot of resentment around the complacency in banking yeah. relationships. I mean, for me, that's my experience. Um, and, and maybe it's just because of the complexity and the, and the costs involved behind the scenes. But I'm very rarely... Very loyal to my bank, uh, with you know surprise and delight and joy, and the same right. way I would with my airline loyalty program. Uh, am I am I unique in that?
1: <laughs> I, I think uh, the, the, the there is a bigger dynamics right now in terms of switching the the, the, the bank programs. It depends on the country. Yeah. So so uh, if if we're talking about a country where I am right now, Poland. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I, I can pivot very easily between the banks. Okay. Uh, and depending on the product I'm using, I'm having savings in other bank account and I'm having my mortgage in other bank account and I'm having a credit card in a different bank account. Okay. Um uh, so I'm not loyal to any of those brands effectively. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not and so so I think it doesn't have to go as far as churn. Yeah. I think we are having a big cost of lost opportunities by not cross selling the products in the uh, in it. the bank. Okay. I mean Yeah. If I would be rewarded if I'm buying my travel insurance, I would uh, why not to buy it with with my local with my with my bank where I where I have my like a dominant bank account. Um there is no such a such a motivating factor, so I go to to other like online insurance companies and buying my travel insurance. And that's what what, what consumers do with with every type of the product. Of course that depends. There are some I would say yeah markets where there is a much more we can call it established or historically conservative uh, consumer base, and it's driven by the also historical position of banks. Yeah, mm-hmm. UK <laughs> could be an example. Ireland probably as well. Yeah. 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 Where, where you've got where you've got very few players, and people tend not to switch the banks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there are but, but there are there are economies where where there is a much bigger dynamics. There's much bigger competition in the banking sector, which okay. is res, which is a result of a still lack of consolidation.
0: Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ireland is in turmoil. I won't even get into it now from a banking perspective, but but what I am learning uh, by listening to you, Peter, uh, and I always do enjoy that, is this focus on share of wallet for the banking sector is a massive opportunity.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I actually always think as loyalty professionals, that's not something we talk enough about because I think you're right. It's one thing to say, you know, cross sell this product, but to have visibility of whether you as Peter have, as you said, maybe five different banking relationships, you know, who is thinking about what is, well, first of all, can we get visibility on that? And I'm sure there's data protection and all sorts of of issues, but I'm guessing there is a way to figure it out. But at least to kind of go, we want to have the full relationship between Peter and and everything he needs in financial services. So it's a much bigger way of thinking and, and certainly would make sense to me. I think what seems to be happening, as you said, is, you know, it's so successful, certainly outside of Europe in terms of the margins and the credit cards. Absolutely. They're just flying. So it's almost like they don't need to think beyond that. I, in order. I tend
1: to, exactly. I tend to say it's too good, you know. You, yeah. so it, it puts you into the, such a comfort zone that you are not thinking about the, the new yeah. opportunities. And I think uh, in especially here in Europe, I mean the the, the banks are, are are trying to look for for, for new initiatives because yeah, yeah uh, the the credit card is not it's not the, a factor that can build a stickiness to the to the consumer
0: totally. And just one personal aside, and I know I always end up doing this when I'm talking with you, Peter, but I always love your perspective. I was recently uh, coming up to the one-year anniversary of my credit card relationship here in UAE. And there was a number of incentives, as there always is, of course, um, for levels of spend, particularly sure. with, you know, Emirates, which I've often said, like, uh, I love flying with Emirates and I I, I love to earn Skyward Smiles through my, my bank credit card. But I had no way of knowing whether I I was about to reach that threshold, which was the incentive, which surprised me. And, and I suppose it shouldn't, because I know it's complex. But I called the bank and I said, I know there's a big bonus available if I spend over my threshold with Emirates within 12 months. Right. Where am I on that uh, threshold? Like, am I close? If I buy one flight, do I need to buy three flights? And it was just amazing to me that there wasn't that level of intelligence for me, my behavior to be incentivized to say, You've got a week. If you spend another $1,000 on Emirates, you get your 25,000 right. skywards miles. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I felt- I felt that was a big missed opportunity.
1: Sure, sure, yeah, and and, and expanding on that, I think you know the, the region in which you're which you're living. So in Dubai, I think this is this proposition still. I mean, it gives you probably a lot of value, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's a it's a probably for 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 local banks, it's a good opportunity to start start building additional kind of a layers of how the loyalty program can contribute yeah yeah um so it can be and basically that credit card and uh, that you're having with a with a bank can be can be a great starting point mm-hmm. uh, whereas whereas i think in in other in other geographies we should look at the other starting point uh to build the engagement factor with the with the consumer and yeah. bring the credit card as an add-on to it
0: sure sure yeah. there you go well listen thank you for answering my question about that um always super interesting i always associate you so clearly with uh, with travel of course and yeah. now increasingly with banking as well so listen i think that's all of the big topics i wanted to get into today peter as i said it's been 18 months since you were on the show the last time and i hope it's not another 18 months i'm sure i'll be seeing you uh, quite si- <laughs> quite soon in fact yes you're having thank your. You. Your user group conference, I believe, is coming up soon. In... Yeah, it's coming up
1: May in Krakow. So we're inviting all of our customers around the world, uh, from from around the world to to wow. Krakow. So Amazing. we are we are kind of coming back to, to some come normal. Yeah. It's we started exciting. to travel, we started to see each other. Yeah. Um uh maybe it's a bit it's a bit more balanced right now. Yeah. But I think there is a there is a lot of a lot of uh, happening happening for, for us in the industry.
0: For sure, yes. Well, I'm yeah. certainly hearing great things about you guys, so want to say congratulations on all of the success that Comwork is having. Uh, certainly in this region, I'm seeing great, uh, great progress and uh, very inspiring to see. So, with all of that said, uh, that's all of the questions I have from my side, Peter. Do you have any other kind of parting words of wisdom that you wanted to share with our with our audience? No, I think we
1: touched a few few interesting points. I mean, we can clearly see that our that our industry is is is, is, in, is in a different point but it's we we're becoming even more and more important to to brands to businesses yeah uh, i think also the success of your podcast shows that there is a lot of interest so also congratulations to to contributing with a, with a great content to to the industry congratulations that i'm sure it's growing as a business as well yes. so it just shows how how our our industry is is greatly contributing to the to the growth of the of the variety of different businesses
0: it sure is, absolutely. And if people do want to reach out to you, Peter, because I know you have all of this incredible insight, if they do want to touch base with you, where is the best place for them to find you?
1: I mean, probably the best way is LinkedIn. Yeah, that's that's where we are. We are all connected. So, uh, if if anyone wants to talk to me directly, I mean, um, Piotr Kozlowski on the LinkedIn, and you'll find me easily. Sure,
0: and of course, to make it super simple, of course, we'll make sure to link to you in the show notes. I appreciate so- it. No problem at all. With all of that said, Peter Kozlowski, Vice President of Consulting for Loyalty Solutions at Comark. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you, Paula. Thank you for having me. This show is sponsored by The Loyalty People, a global strategic consultancy with a laser focus on loyalty, CRM and customer engagement. The Loyalty People work with clients in lots of different ways whether it's the strategic design of your loyalty program or a full service, including loyalty project execution. And they can also advise you on choosing the right technology and service partners. On their website, the Loyalty People also runs a free global community for loyalty practitioners. And they also publish their own loyalty expert insights. So for more information and to subscribe, check out theloyaltypeople.global. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.